Ray Bolt, 6 p.m. tonight. Watch out, Cher. <laughs> Watch out, Patty LaBelle. Watch out, Tina Turner. <laughs> and um, watch out California, and watch out Florida, and watch out Arkansas. You may say that we are not legal. The eyes of Texas, the eyes of California, the eyes of Florida, the eyes of Arkansas may not see us but God sees us. And what some may call illegal, God calls blessed. You're seen here. You're blessed here. Patti LaBelle has a song in a book called Don't Block the Blessing. And uh, we're gonna keep working for that blessing. We're gonna claim it now. And even if they don't give it to us, we're going to go ahead and live it now. Live it now. And uh, sometimes God uses music and inspiration to change the world. And Ray, um, my prayer for you and for this song is that it would be transformative and life-changing and that it would be a world-changing song. And in fact, I want to stop right now and um, pray for you and pray for those doing this work and pray that this is a song that the Holy Spirit will use to change laws, yes, but also to save lives. God, we pray at this moment for the work that you are doing in our world. And even when it seems that there are many who are not on our side, and many who seem to be blocking the blessing, we praise you that you are not finished yet. That you're calling us and inviting us to see each other and to love. And I pray that this song would be used by you for amazing transformation. And we pray this in the liberating, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're all aware that we are officially in a recession at this time. And part of the conversation out there right now is, are there recession-proof jobs? Are there recession-proof careers? And if so, what careers are recession-proof? And there's some articles out now that are listing the different careers. And one of the careers that is high on the chart for being recession-proof is the career of private detective. <laughs> People are still hiring private detectives. And in fact, one of the areas in the private detective field that's particularly growing is people who are entering new relationships. They're hiring private detectives to check out the person they're dating. <laughs> and it's a growing field. Because there is this fear of the unknown. Yeah, she may be cute. And she may be looking good. 
Your heart may be getting warm, but you're wondering, is she who she says she is? So people are hiring private investigators to check out this person. They're doing background checks. They're checking up on medical records. They're trying to find out, is this person who they really claim to be? I mean, who wants to take that kind of risk? You want to know what you're getting into. Is it real? Is he real? Is she real? It's playing into this fear of the unknown. And in today's scripture, we have some people who are having a similar kind of fear. They're wondering if the relationship they've gotten into is real or not. And they're wondering if he is who he says he is. The scripture today from 1 Thessalonians is the earliest of the Christian scriptures. It was written even before the Gospels. And some of the people who received this letter from Paul that is your scripture today actually were alive during the time of Jesus. Some of them were children, some were adults. They had fallen head over heels in love with this one who called them to love and life. And they had built their whole lives around him and they'd established a community around him. But now, 50 years later, they are really wondering, is this Jesus who he says he is? And the reason they're questioning is because before he left, one of the things he promised them is that he would come back. He would return. And the Apostle Paul and others in this community thought it was going to be soon, immediately, within a year or two, if not a week or two. When's he coming back? They at least thought he would come back before their loved ones began to pass. They wanted their beloveds to experience the return of Jesus, and it hadn't happened yet. And they found themselves getting disappointed. They found themselves wondering whether or not he was telling the truth. They were wondering what of his message was true and what was false. It was creating this tension among them. The disappointment was was spreading throughout the community and the fear was spreading throughout the community. And they were coming to a place where they just didn't know anymore. And they did with disappointment what many of us do with disappointment. (laughs) Some of them begin to numb out. They won't think about it. They begin to not believe us strongly anymore. In fact, some begin to die a little bit on the inside. It's like a piece of them was dying when their beliefs seemed to be falling apart in big ways and little ways. In fact, a scripture that you have before you today talks about how some had actually taken to getting drunk to forget their problems. You know, it was a rough day, let's just go out and get drunk. <laughs> and, and they were beginning to find themselves slipping away in in terms of how they were relating to each other. One of the phrases used in that scripture is this idea that they had fallen asleep. Well, the word behind that really is a a euphemism for, for death. They had begun to think that their life was stuck and it wasn't going to get any better. And so what Paul says to them, even as he's struggling with these same questions is, Your life's not over yet. 
And I thought he was coming back too. I thought he'd be here by now, but he's not. And we don't quite know why and we don't know when. But he is living with you and in you, and you've got to still believe. So sober up, wake up, and get back to life. And in verse 11, what Paul says, it's the last verse that's written there in your worship folder. He says, your call is not to depress each other. Your call is to encourage each other, to help keep each other awake, to help keep each other alive. So believe, <laughs> live. And part of what he was saying is the, the signs of death may appear to be all around you. But look closer. Because the signs of life are stronger. Live. Awaken. Sober up. Encourage each other. The meaning behind the word encouragement is to literally give each other courage. To, to give each other the courage to live a strong and powerful and awakened life. To give each other that ability to celebrate the fullness. Part of what Paul is saying is no matter where you are in your life, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a child or an adult or a senior, live, embrace it, wake up, it's full. It's a call to vitality. One of the questions that comes through then is what are the places in your life that are maybe deadening you a little bit? The places in your life that need to be awakened again. Maybe you're just coming out of a relationship and no matter how hard you try to feel love, you just can't feel it anymore. And you can't even begin to imagine yourself in relationship again because it just hurts too much. Maybe you're in one of those jobs where it's not feeding your spirit and you feel like you're just showing up and you can't wait to get through the day and one o'clock, your wishing was five o'clock. <laughs> and it's just not alive anymore. It's so easy to, to look and to say, I can't imagine how this is going to change. And I know that many of us feel that way about what's happening right now in some of what's happening in the, in the laws happening in our country. We, we, we can't imagine that people will ever really accept this love that we know is so real. Part of Paul's great challenge is to be saved at each moment. To have those saving conversations, those life-giving conversations. Those conversations that bring life. To, round, to surround ourselves with people and to go places that strengthen and encourage us. I love how one of the best preachers in the country, Barbara Brown Taylor, describes this call to engage and to live. Many years ago now, when I was invited to speak at a church gathering, my host said, tell us what is saving your life now. It was such a good question that I've made a practice of asking others to answer it, even as I continue to answer it myself. What is saving you now? In the Bible, human beings experience God's salvation when peace ends war when food follows famine or when health supplants sickness and freedom trumps oppression. 
Salvation is a word for the divine spaciousness that comes to human beings in all those tight places where our lives are at risk, really, regardless of how we got there. Sometimes salvation comes as an extended human hand, and sometimes as a bolt from the blue. But either way, it opens a door in what looked like for all the world a wall. This is the way of life, and God alone knows how it works. If you look in your worship folder on page 5, we have our core belief stated. And the second belief listed there is, we believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And what's beautiful in this is that we don't always know exactly how that's going to happen. God knows. God knows what you need and God knows who you need. And it's possible that right now if there is a dead place in your life that needs to be reawakened, if there is a confined place in your life that needs to be revitalized, if there is a part of you that needs to be saved, God knows exactly what that is and where that is and how it feels. And God knows the exact way salvation can come to you. God knows the conversation that could change your life. God knows the song that could change your life. God knows the moment and the place. What's amazing about God is the way that God weaves our lives and our conversations and our moments together to encourage us, to reawaken us as a community, to help us become life and see life. The challenge here is to follow that empowering presence of the Holy Spirit because you may be the person that God prompts to help bring life to someone else. You you may go breezing into the gathering place today seeking out your best friend and suddenly find yourself prompted to look over here and perhaps to see someone you've not seen before. And even if you're shy, you may be prompted to go and say hello, to introduce yourself. And then who knows what God's going to do with that conversation. That conversation at that moment, prompted by the Spirit, could change someone's life. Your life, our church. Who knows what God is up to? Every moment is a moment that holds the potential for divine salvation in that meeting. More from Robert Brown Taylor. Although we might use different words to describe it, most of us know what is killing us. For some, it's the deadly rush of our lives. For others, the inability to move. For some, it is the prison of their possessions. For others, the crushing poverty that dooms our children to more of the same. Few of us can choose our circumstances, but we can choose how we respond to them. To be saved is not only to recognize an alternative to the deadliness pressing down upon us. It is also to be able to act upon it. Even those who have no choice but to be carried to the safety on the stretcher will eventually be given the chance to take up their mats and walk. And even those whose legs still will not work can discover how agile a healed spirit can be. 
What is saving your life now? What is saving your life now? Let's take a sacred pause and just think about that question. Who are the people who give life to you? What are the places that give life to you? What are the things that fulfill you? I have to be honest and admit there was a time in my life where I couldn't begin to answer that question. It was one of the deadest times in my life. I was a pastor in a Nazarene church. And I went into that thinking that, you know, I will preach the centrality of Jesus Christ. We agree on the main thing. So uh, this gay stuff, you know, I'll just put that over here. And um, I'll, just, I'll just preach what I believe. I'll never preach a sermon I don't believe. What I realized was that my life was preaching a sermon I didn't believe. And by the very fact that my name was on the letterhead of a Nazarene church, I was preaching and communicating things I didn't believe. And every day I had to create somebody to go pastor in that church. And I can remember pulling into the parking lot morning after morning, putting my head on the steering wheel, trying to get the last tears out before I went in there. And putting on that smile and that face, trying to fill myself with this fake energy. And, and a big part of my work was with the children. And I can tell you they were so full of life and joy and their joy and their life made my awareness of my deadness even more clear. And here I was preaching salvation and feeling so dead inside. I felt like I was a liar every time I talked with those children and tried to minister to them. And I think it was the life in their eyes that reminded me that I was called to something better and something more life-giving. And in a sense, they became this verse 11. Their spirits became encouragement to me to really live. Knowing I had to go somewhere else to do it, I had to make some major changes to embrace life and salvation, but they became that inspiration. I couldn't imagine a place like this at that time. A place where God's beloved could come together and worship in freedom and truth like we are today. I couldn't imagine that. And yet here we are. All around we see life in each other. My vision for resurrection is that this would be a place where people become alive again. A place where the life at this table is freely offered. A place where women and children and all are invited to receive and share these gifts, released. This is a place where we can dream again and live again, believe again and give again. Imagine life. It's there for us. Receive it. Amen.